Welcome to Reflection as a Service. This is Paul Merrill. I'm your host here on Reflection as a Service, and we're here to talk about software development and entrepreneurship. That's what Reflection as a Service is all about. Today, I am absolutely thrilled at the guest that I'm going to have on here. So uh, if you are a software developer and you have not focused much time on testing, and if you hear the word testing and want to tune out right away, this is your chance to not do that. This is the time when you don't do that because we've got one of the world's best testers here. I believe one of the most recognized testers on the planet. Marit Puhayarvi is a software professional with testing emphasis. She identifies as an empirical technologist, a tester, and a programmer, a catalyst for improvement, and a speaker. Her day job is working with a software product development team as a hands-on testing specialist. On the side, she teaches exploratory testing and makes a point of adding new relevant feedback for test automation heavy projects through skilled exploratory testing. In addition to being a tester and a teacher, she is a serial volunteer for different nonprofits driving forward the state of software development. She was recently awarded as Most Influential Agile Testing Professional Person of 2016. She blogs regularly at visible-quality.blogspot.fi and is the author of Mob Programming Guidebook. Marit, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. If people don't know who you are, you're an international speaker. You've, you've done keynotes all over the world. Um, I read your blog quite often. You've always got new content on there, and you're just a great mind with testing. So I hope that lots of people stay tuned on this and listen to what you have to say, because I think we're going to have a great conversation here. I believe we will. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, look, you know, I was looking through some of your YouTube videos before the show, and I, I love the topics on there. In one of them, you talked about domain specialists. And I thought that it was so interesting that you talked about that because I think it's something that's overlooked quite often. Can you tell us a little bit about people growing with the product and what you mean by a domain specialist and why that's important to testing? So a lot of times, some of the deeper knowledge that I find that we're kind of uh, bringing out while we're testing comes from understanding the domain. I've personally have had this kind of experience where I change companies every two to three years. And uh, kind of when I join a new organization, I need to start learning the domain as my first thing. And a lot of times there's information that I just can't, you know, have at my hands in the beginning. So having those people who have been around longer and being able to talk to them is, is invaluable. But on the other hand, I'm noticing that with the attitude that I usually go into my projects where it's kind of like learning the domain and understanding the domain better, uh, a lot of times that domain knowledge kind of catches on. And it's more about wanting to learn that than uh, anything else. And, well, it just basically takes time time to get that kind of things, things done. But a lot of times, like, I worked in projects where we've had, like, uh, acceptance testing only. So end users uh, doing the testing. I worked in projects where we're building the products. And in both of these cases, I find that uh, there's these people who might not really care so much about the code side of things, but their knowledge about why are we building the product is, is really invaluable. 
Yeah, I totally agree. So, so, uh, for listeners who are new to us, we've gotten a lot of new listeners recently. And, you know, for, for those of you who are new to us, my background is in software engineering. I work as a test automation engineer now, and that's the principal part of my business at Beaufort Fairmont. So I look at testing and try to learn from testing from people like Marat and others in the industry. And I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, when, when I look at the projects that we've done really, really well, the ones where we've experienced a lot of success, it does seem to come down to um, several things. Technical expertise would be one. Understanding testing would be another. And then the domain seems to be absolutely key. Do you have any tricks that you use to learn domains quickly? I usually think about it kind of as learning in layers. I go into the projects with the mindset that uh, whatever I do today is the best that I can do today. But through reflection and introspection, I can kind of figure out how was I yesterday, how was I today, and kind of try to be a little better tomorrow. So again, like the attitude towards learning so that whatever day you start, you can be better than yesterday. So making maps about what do I think I know, uh, making new maps uh, when some time has passed, comparing them and kind of like comparing things uh, on, on how I thought about things before and now. I find that's very much a key to me. How do you do that? Is there a certain technique that you use for modeling out your thinking or for, for diagramming out the models that you have in your head? I use mind maps a lot. So, okay. okay. Uh, I just start writing keywords about things that I see down. And uh, since they're electronic mind maps, I can reorganize them as I learn. So I kind of like, that gives me a trigger on understanding that, hey, my understanding changed here. So visualizing how I'm learning and how the concepts are kind of going together, that's a very relevant thing. And the other tool that I really use is, I think, um, I've had this like habit of putting things into my calendar on like retrospecting, introspecting on a regular basis so that I make sure that I take time, couple of hours, just, you know, stare at the wall, draw or think or whatever, and, and make sure that I, I give myself time to like realize that uh, I've been wrong. And, you know, you've read my blog. You know that uh, I created my blog for the purpose of, of helping me be honest in a way that uh, the things that I know now and I write about, they're really a lot of fun and really useful also for me to go back in a year to realize that I've completely 180 turned my my head on, on something. And, and I'm speaking... Uh, right now in a very opposite direction than I was before. Interesting. So, so is that company sponsored time that you're staring at a wall, thinking about the way that you used to think about things and the way that you think about it today? Well, right now I don't really separate what time is, is on the company and what time is mine. Um, in my previous job, before I changed, I was actually very careful in, in trying to use the, the personal time for the extra stuff. But it's sometimes hard to kind of say which stuff is extra and which stuff is part of your regular work. And I would say that both of my two recent employees, employers, um, they were very supportive of the idea of, you know, thinking about what you've learned. The uh, external thinking, going to conferences, that might be, a, you know, more visible being away from the office. Uh, there's, that's where the company sponsorship might be more of an issue sometimes or had has been for me, but on the... Uh, just taking time to 
stare at the application and think about something else. No one can see what exactly is going on in an exploratory tester's head. So it might look like I'm testing and I might just, you know, choose a different layer of thinking at that point. I love that. And I, you know, one of the key things that you said there is something that's key to me and you can tell me your thoughts about it is writing. And when I, when I sit and write something, it is amazing how often, like you're saying, I'll come back in six months or a year or two years and say, man, that guy from two years ago, yes, he was me, but he was not, he was not where I am today. His, his ring, his experience was very, very limited, uh, in what it was. And I see things so completely differently now. And I think having that freedom to do that and having the confidence to do that is so important. Do you have, do you have any tips for doing that? Well, I think it's more on the side of, um, just, uh, finding a routine for yourself. So I really needed the, calendar appointments to, to remind me of uh, it has been three months since I did something of this sort last. No, it's, it's more like uh, just find the way that, that works for you, that goes for your um, kind of like cycle of, of uh, how you feel comfortable learning. Can you, you know, one of the things that I was looking at, you made a statement in one of your YouTube videos. I think this was in a, a talk that you gave a, a few years ago. And I'm wondering if it's still relevant, but you said people tend to respect testers less or testers don't get as much respect sometimes in some organizations and in, in the industry in general, I guess. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think it was about maybe 18 years ago, one of my very first jobs, very early on at least. And I remember I had this, I had this manager uh, who was always questioning what I was doing. I was a very junior tester. And I was convinced at that point, uh, from all the feedback that I got from him, that everybody hates testers and they just, you know, like, there's no respect for testers. And being the type of person that I am, I decided in the word of a moment, or whim of a moment, I decided that I'm going to be a programmer. I'm not going to be a tester anymore because apparently people just don't respect testers. And they respect programmers more? Is that what you're saying? That's kind of how I thought about things back then. So I went into being a programmer, and I lasted in a programming job for about six months, I think, at that point. And I wasn't just happy as a programmer. And I needed to reflect again on what I had learned from that experience. And I learned that uh, being an average or a, or a mediocre uh, programmer or a newbie programmer Versus being somebody who is really, really good at testing, there's actually better chances of being respected by being a really, really good tester. Oh, interesting. Instead of uh, kind of giving up on deciding that, you know, testing was already back then, it was not a very high status job. I decided that there's things that I can do. And I started doing a lot more public speaking, kind of trying to change the fact that testers are not respected. And I went back to being a tester and I decided I'm going to be one of the best testers in the world. And again, kind of from the idea that when you're good at something, you get respect. And 18 years later, uh, it's easy to talk about this kind of from that perspective that I've been on this task or on this mission for quite a long time. And I find that nowadays, I personally have not had much of a trouble getting the respect that I seek in the organization that I work with. But uh, sometimes 
I see that other people struggle with that a lot more. Yeah, I really believe that it's on the side of uh, just making sure you get good at whatever you're doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I tend to agree with you. Do you think that a big part of the respect that you get now comes from the fact that you've done so much public speaking or from the fact that you are more well-known? I think there's a lot of different aspects. Uh, I think the public speaking helps me with speaking internally about the same stuff. So I've had so many chances of explaining, for example, uh, why it's not a tester's fault if we find a bug in production that the tester never put it there in the first place. <laughs> right. like I've had some right. practice in the public speaking side that uh, all of this kind of comes very easily and maybe with uh, a little less um, uh, personal emotion because of that, because there's so much practice already. So I think that kind of helps with the internal communications as well. Like there's the canned answers that, that you get practiced on that you can use over and over again. Yeah, you know, I'm starting to experience that as well. And I see when I look at you speaking, when I see you speaking, I think, wow, what a confident person. And she really knows what she's talking about. And I think that uh, when you have those two things together, it resonates. And I think that people really see it when it happens. So it's, it's very clear when I see you speaking. Thank you. That It's nice to hear. You know, and the other thing that I think is you've probably done a whole lot of thinking about each of these issues. I recently had the chance on Automation Guild to sit and listen to some of these other well-known testers and think about the way that they were presenting information and how they had gotten to their conclusions. One that I really enjoyed was Alan Richardson, the uh, also known as the evil tester. And he went back to base principles. He went back to first principles on test automation and kind of why we're doing it and, and what we're doing. And the thought occurred to me how difficult it can be to get to that point when you've been doing something for 10 or 15 or 20 years. And it's very clear to me in you talking about these discussions that you've had many times about topics that you've spoken about many times, not only have you spoken about them, but you had to sit down and do the preparation to speak about them and think through them on your own. I think that's probably undervalued a lot. And I just, I wonder, what was there, do you make significant effort for that? Or is that part of the staring at the wall that you were talking about earlier? I actually do make a significant effort for every one of my talks. And for quite some time, I had this idea that I would never do the same talk twice. I've only recently started to try out maybe, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. And uh, there's a lot of work in, in uh, the introspection that goes into to making a talk, uh, collecting whatever stories you have and checking whatever facts you feel that you need to check. So that's definitely a lot of work. And I kind of think of this personally from the perspective that I look at my colleagues who are not doing the same things as I am. They're not talking in conferences. They're not going out and, and they're kind of uh, shy, maybe in a way, in, in sharing their own, own information or inf uh, knowledge that they've, they've gathered. And I believe that a lot of times, if they would just maybe speak in public a little more, they could find new aspects. People could correct them in a positive tone or they could find new things uh, when they can correct themselves when they try to speak about things. That's at least what happens to me a lot. I correct myself. 
You know, I've found the same, the same thing. It sounds like you've done a whole lot more of it. And I know that you've done a whole lot more of it than I have, but it is amazing when you get in front of people and you talk about something you think you know, and you try to present an idea that you think you know really well. It is amazing how quickly people can show you that you don't really know it <laughs> in a positive way, in a negative way, whatever it is. And I'm not necessarily inviting, uh, the, the ways that aren't positive or constructive, but I know for myself, when someone asks a question that I hadn't thought of whatsoever, and I have to say, I don't know. Just the, the fact that you say some people are not able to say, I don't know in front of a room of 60 or 100 or 500 people, right? And, and getting the confidence to say that and to realize, you know what? I'm going to have to go back and study that and try to figure out exactly where I'm coming from on that, why I think that way or, or why I don't know the answer to that. Um, that's an activity in itself. And it's one that has certainly helped my thinking. And it's nice to hear that you've had the same experience. And again, like I believe that when people do speak in public, majority of the audiences, almost everyone, uh, they really want to see you succeed. They want to learn from you. And this whole software industry and software community, we're so learning oriented that everyone is, is really welcoming. And some of the best discussions that I've had that has taught me the most come from kind of people uh, offering conflicting evidence from a different context, something that I had never experienced or I had no access to, just based on the fact that I was talking about it and they wanted to kind of like contrast their experiences to whatever I was saying. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's, it's nice for me, you know, I'm not always able to come up with uh, the reasons why I think of something while I'm speaking. Like I'll do the most I possibly can to think through those things and to be prepared uh, when I go up and speak in front of people. But it is very difficult to think on your feet. I'll get a question out of left field and have no, or excuse the uh, phrase there, but I'll get a question that I'm totally unprepared for and seems very random at the time. And have no idea how to deal with it. And, and that's one of those things that I think you get better with over time. But it's, uh, in some ways a disadvantage to be, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position to be up there in the first place, or at least I, that's the way that I feel. I mean, maybe other people don't feel that way, but there's just so much good that can come from it and so much that we can learn from it. And I know that I've learned so much by doing it. Um, it's, it's nice to hear other perspectives on, on that. I, you know, one of the things that I was listening to you speak about was, you were in the situation where you were the very first tester on a team of nine developers. And I, I have run into so many people who are in this situation. And I was wondering if you had any advice or thoughts about what individuals can do in that situation to help the team succeed. The team that I joined, you heard right, the team that I joined, um, they had been doing the product for I think maybe about five years before I joined. So they had a kind of long history of doing things, doing releases without a tester. But the reason why they hired a tester was that they also had a number that they were following up on, which told them that there were these uh, big visible error messages that you know would pop up in front of the user, but also would be logged uh, into the, the logs so that the developers could count them. And the percentage was somewhere around 18% at the time they decided to hire a tester. And uh, it was kind of a fertile ground to be joining because they were really puzzled with the fact that they can have this many errors and they had no clue in the team amongst the developers on how to you know, find those problems. 
And basically my first year was pretty much so that uh, I couldn't touch the software without going and talking to a developer, telling that if I touch it in this way, it crashes. And if I touch it in this way, it crashes. And we got those numbers down to half a percent. So it was just being patient and and thinking uh, in more dimensions than just the, the basic use case that just brought out most of those those errors. So for me, that team really made it easy to join because they had already created a problem where they, you know, they were pulling me in and like, please help us solve this. Uh, but when that first problem kind of started to subside and uh, there was more kind of like a, a normal case that I would, would consider uh, like we were building new features, but we were also releasing uh, on a monthly basis. Then we started to have this problem of uh, there was always these cases where on the last day of the month, you probably have run into this. Uh, on the last day of the month, everybody would commit their changes in. The work of the whole month was usually ready on like two days to, to an hour before the so-called deadline. Right. And I was really struggling with uh, keeping up with the, the testing that was supposed to be happening in the time frame before the release. And again, since they had this established rhythm already of monthly releases, and they had been doing it without me as well, they really didn't want to uh, make the releases any slower, even if I would find problems there. They would just release it when it was broken. And uh, eventually the lesson that we kind of took from that was that we went to this Kanban mode and continuous delivery without automation. So we've started releasing on a daily basis instead of uh, once a month so that there was actually whatever time frame we needed for uh, the testing that needed to happen, whether it was manual or automated. So were you were you testing in a production environment in those cases? No, uh, I was testing mostly in a test environment, but I do, did have access to the production environment as well. So that brings up another question. You're talking about deploying daily. Uh, companies are talking now, and, and more and more I'm hearing about people testing in production environments. Is that something that you've experienced, and what are your thoughts on that? As long as the basic quality is okay, uh, meaning... We've already learned to be good at the, at building whatever the developers intended to build. Then testing in the production environment to figure out if what we intended actually is all we need and really what we need. I think that works quite nicely. But if we have cases where uh, the developers end up breaking the basic things, when they're making changes, and then thinking that we can test all of that during production, that would break quite badly in my my experience. But there's this, like so many organizations nowadays, like the developers are testing so much more than they used to. Like there's these test-infected developers who are doing test-driven development and and adding automation, and uh, that's kind of cool. And when you have that focus on getting the intent right and the intent translated to code right, then moving the other type of testing to happen while you're already in production in these very small, tiny increments because, well, continuous delivery, it makes sense to me in many ways. 
that's so good to hear. I love hearing more about organizations focusing on testing earlier in the cycle, about developers focusing on it more. Um, I was recently thinking through the concept of how developers and testers think differently. And I know that you've done some work on this. I really liked some of the questions you were asking in some of my um, viewing before this this episode about, about how developers think. But I, I sat down and tried to think about what is the mindset of a developer as they're writing code? You know, you and I have both done that. And I know for myself, when I'm writing a piece of code, at least in the past, one of the ways that I've thought is about the completion of the code, that I'm looking to complete a task. I'm looking to make it work as the requirements suggest it should work. And I'm looking to do it in a detailed manner. And I tend to have to focus on my little part in order to get it done because my brain just isn't big enough to do more. I don't know if you, I don't know, maybe yours is, but mine isn't. And so I know as a tester though, when I sit down and think about those same things, I'm thinking about completion of the product and a much wider scope, a much wider array of how things in the product interact. What are some of your thoughts about the ways that developers and testers think? In my experience, it's like, I work with various kinds of developers. There's some of these craftsmanship type of developers who are very much into unit testing and building things really well right from the beginning. And working with them, it's, it's more like um, finding the right additional ideas that still keep you focused but need to be considered right there and then. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of also the mindset that happens when you're mobbing with a team, that uh, you're trying to figure out what's the right thing to consider right now for, for the uh, development task at hand. But most of the developers that I've still had the fortune of working with, they have very good intentions, but they have a limited time of experience in years and have maybe not managed to get quite to this craftsmanship level that I'm thinking about right here. So I've had people who are struggling with kind of, you know, not even thinking about the domain because somebody needs to tell me about the domain. I'll just then translate that into code or uh, not even maybe thinking about the tests because they kind of think of it as a, you know, extra task that needs to be done afterwards. So depending on how far in the skills development and understanding the developer that I'm working with is, I find that I have a very different mindset on how I as a tester work with them. So I've had these developers where I'm basically correcting easy errors at first and then going deeper with them. And it takes a lot more effort, of course, to to work together in that way. Whereas, well, it's also then kind of giving them feedback on how they could grow into, you know, if you would pay more attention to this, maybe you wouldn't need me on this. Right. <laughs> but on, on other ones, it's it's kind of like the part that I need to contribute as a tester is more on uh, the, uh, maybe like um, on APIs, like a developer experience, like does this make sense to use? Uh, the environmental conditions, like this is how it's part of some like longer uh, scenario of you need to kind of deploy it and install it and get it into use and then you use it in this way and, and kind of seeing things in a kind of bigger context. And a lot of developers with this whole focus on the small details, they have a hard time at the same time looking at the, the big pictures. Yeah, you know, a couple of things you mentioned there are so, so interesting. Um, the idea of is this something that we need to talk about right now? 
Uh, I think that's kind of the way you, I may have phrased it slightly differently, but you're having a discussion with a developer and you're saying, you know, is, is this something that I need to talk about right now? Or is it something that I can wait a little while on or whatever? That's something you can't do when you start out as a tester. I don't think, I think you have to have a certain amount of experience, but then there's a, a high level of awareness there as well to be able to uh, understand the situation that you're in and understand how you can help the team progress and help the developers progress uh, and not impede their progress by by bringing up things that don't necessarily help at this point in time. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know where my question is there, but <laughs> what you're kind of pointing out there is that um, the stuff that I talk about somehow sounds like it's developed over a long time and and might be difficult for somebody new. And I find that all of this is more about being sensitive to looking at other dimensions of how people respond to you when you're reporting bugs to them. So one of the things that I've been doing a lot recently uh, is, is this idea of not using Jira. And it's been amazing in the sense of having more channels open that I can interpret in what is the t- right timing. Because again, that's a, it's something that I'm reflecting continuously. Like, would this be okay to be told right now or would a delayed feedback on this be better? So when you try, you know, you just experiment. Give that type of feedback now and see how it's, it's, it's taken and, and start building kind of your own model on, on how your developers, the ones that you're working with right now, how they are responding to that kind of things. One of the great things that I think you mentioned there is the idea that everyone's trying to do the best job they can, you know, that, that developers are, are working as hard as they can to produce for the company. They really are trying to do a great job. We as testers are trying to do uh, the best job that we can. And to recognize that intent along the way can be incredibly helpful. And a lot of times, like, especially recently, I've been having this need of reminding my developers that I know, like, that uh, if the product is broken in a relevant way, in production. I know that I'm not going to be the one in the middle of the night here fixing it. <laughs> right, right. So I right. know that you are not any more perfect than I am, but that together, if you invite me to help you with the problem that you're actually having, you're the one who gets to come here in the middle of the night, maybe we could do better together. And a lot of times reminding this has been very much necessary because uh, sometimes uh, testing has been framed in the organizations as this kind of gatekeeping and protecting the, the end user. Right. And I really have a lot of problems with the idea that we're framing developers as, as some people that we need to kind of protect the end users from. Sure, yeah. You know, framing it more as... Uh, they have their limitations. And if you recognize the idea that you're trying to help them, maybe they would actually invite you to help a lot more than, than they have in the universe. Yeah, I love that. I love the teaming up aspect of that, sitting down beside someone. The, the idea that you had there of inviting or asking for an invitation or kind of trying to get an invitation into help, I think that's absolutely key in getting buy-in and getting, getting help together. It seems like, do you do that in most cases or um, how, how did you come by that or what suggestions would you give to someone about, about doing that? 
How would I explain this the best? I think it was maybe about two and a half, three years ago when uh, I was speaking in conferences and I was always mentioning this idea that, you know, in my job, uh, I'm reporting on average four bucks a day, even on those days when, when I'm not actually at the office. So even if I'm in conferences or I'm away for the weekend, the average of how many bucks did I need to report into Jira was that. And I was very proud of this number, you know, like, like I find a lot of problems, I have a lot of perspectives, and, you know, I can count the number of things that I, I bring into the, the, the table. And then a friend of mine, uh, a tester, Rusindrea, mentioned to me that it's actually very uncomfortable, this whole counting, and, and she kind of, like, you know, helped me frame this, this point that I was making. So that it was un- was- I'm sorry, it was uncomfortable for her, or no, she felt like it was uncomfortable in general? It was uncomfortable in general, not not for her, yeah. but she was huh. saying that that like, have you considered how it feels for others when you kind of you know mentioning these kind of numbers? Like, what if you would focus on making your number smaller? Would you lose anything? So kind of you know making me think. It was just kind of like a supportive discussion on 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 different perspectives, and that was kind of the point when I decided to try to make my number smaller. And I stopped actively reporting the bugs and I would go and sit next to a developer and, you know, show them things. I started generating all these little uh, experiments of, uh, you know, I found a bug and then I asked the developer to, you know, help me understand the feature. And I would kind of lead them into this, this experience of finding the bug. While they were <laughs> <telling it>. That's <laughs> tricky. But there were so many good things happening because of that. Like the developers, when they would experience the bug in the first hand, like they saw the bug while they were demoing, it got fixed in minutes. And, and right. all this kind of extra work that I was creating uh, with the four bucks a day, putting them on the list, every one of them takes about minimum of 10 minutes for me to write if I w- you want to write a, a detailed or clear bug report. There was a lot of waste in that process. So this whole mindset now into going into figuring out if there's any other way that we could do things than, you know, just bogging bugs, that's really something that I, I'm very much into right now. Cool. So I guess my question for that, though, it, just to play, um, to be contrarian, just to ask a, a different perspective on this mm-hmm. is, how does the executive in that organization know what's going on? So. When it comes time for, I don't know how things work in Finland, but when it comes time for performance reviews, if you have something like that, or when it comes time to assess someone's performance or what they've been doing, if you can't say, hey, I find four bugs a day, and instead you're going and sitting down with developers and getting work done faster and reducing risk more quickly, how does that executive know what's going on without that particular metric? Well, I think the way to do that is to tell them a story of, of the change. That's usually worked for me. Uh, the very first time I did this, it was actually in this organization that I work with right now. I'm here for my second uh, uh, period of, of employment. And I was working in this very small team. There was one developer, one full-time developer. There was me as the half-time tester. There was a project manager with half-time allocation. And then there was a customer representative who was actually a developer by trade. So about half of his time, he would be contributing to 
development and clarifying the domain that we were working in. And we learned this way of working with the developer where um, every day around 12 o'clock, he had just eaten and I was just about to go to eat. So we would meet in that, you know, like transfer period because we had a bit of different uh, schedules. And he would tell me that, kind of, you know, proudly tell me what he has been up to in the last day. And I would tell him that if I had time right now, because I didn't have all days, because I was just half-time employee in that project, he would tell me what he's been implementing, and I would give him all the ideas that I could on, on how I would test this. And <clears throat> I remember in particular this one case where we were talking about concurrency, and he told me that uh, there can't be problems with concurrency. And I said, like, you know, I would still test this, and these are my ideas on how I would test it. And the next day, he came back telling me, yeah, there was a problem with concurrency. Exactly. <laughs> there would be, but there isn't anymore. And here are the unit tests that I also added that make sure that that can happen again. Oh, that's great. And we kept having this, you know, like type of attitude to work that we were kind of uh, in a positive tone competing on, on, on giving and, and responding to the other in a, in a positive way. And then there came the time when the manager actually uh, needed to understand that we were approaching this end of the project and he was used to you know using his metrics on on deciding how ready are we for releasing and there was time when when agile wasn't as big a thing as as they, it is it's these days and he was really puzzled with the metrics like there were very few bugs that he could find uh, under my name and and in general like in the the bug database there were very few bugs reported and he's saying like it means that I must have done a bad testing and that one got resolved by the developer right away stepping up and saying, like, you know, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me, and you're not going to stop this. So I find that ever since doing these kind of things that are collaborate, collaboratory, I can trust on other people speaking for me. Wow, that's awesome. That's such a powerful story. Yeah, but I feel like that was that was an early story really for me. But there's so many cases where you can encourage people to give feedback. And I find that the more I give feedback, and especially positive feedback about others, in addition to, you know, reporting the bugs that they find, the more they're willing to share for the managers the good stuff that I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, that's great. Great thought there. So... So this is a really terrific conversation. I want to make sure that everyone knows um, a little bit about a book that you wrote. So you wrote a book on mob programming. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So a few years back, uh, I met this guy, Woody Zuil, uh, in a conference that I organized in Finland. And he was talking about this crazy idea, at least that's what I thought back then, on, on working on code or on whatever tasks you're doing as the whole team on one computer. So this idea that uh, you would have one person sit in front of the computer and using the keyboard kind of like being the intelligent input device and only doing things on the computer that the others kind of describe the intent for. So other people would tell you what should be going on in that computer. And there will be a whole group of people getting the kind of best ideas out of everyone into the work that you're doing. And I thought this was a ridiculous idea at first. And it simultaneously, as ridiculous it sounded to me, 
uh, it also seemed like a perfect fit for the trouble that I was having with my team at that point, that I was feeling very lonely and very isolated. I was the only tester, and sometimes it felt hard to find the uh, uh, you know, deep human connection when everybody else was interested in something completely different than you were. So we started mobbing once a week with my team, and that's kind of how I got into it. And uh, over time, I really fell in love with the, the process of uh, making sure that everybody's contribution gets there right at the, the uh, creation of the, the code. In the sense that, you know, I could, as a tester, I could be in the room and I could just ask, you know, like, hey, maybe if you started the application next time in a different browser, you know, maybe the other browser didn't work quite as well as the first browser did. And you would already find, you know, on-time feedback while you were still creating the thing. Or I could ask on, like, uh, or I could provide information about the domain that, hey, uh, you seem to be talking about one, but are you talking about the user? User selects many things here. And I could see kind of like some of the things that I have to give as feedback as a tester later on being uh, completely forgotten by everyone in the room in the next 40 minutes, <laughs> except I, myself. Because when you are giving feedback at a time when there's no egos in play, like nobody gets offended that you're correcting things because there was not yet really a mistake made. That was so powerful in, in many ways that I've, I've wanted to do a lot more of that. So uh, with my previous team, I did that about once a week. I started experimenting with mob testing, so using mob programming on uh, testing specific activities. And that's pretty much what I do here in my current organization as well, that I bring together testers from around the organization to help me figure out if my thinking is uh, missing aspects, and usually it is. For some people, that's very hard to admit. It's so nice to hear someone of your caliber say that, because um, we're all we're all learning all the time if we're trying to make improvements. Um, and a big part of that, I I believe, just like it sounds like you do, is understanding where we've made mistakes with our thinking in the past. You know, this is terrific. I think um, I can't wait to read your book. I feel terrible saying I haven't read it before having you on as a guest, but it's on my list, and I will read it. And I look forward to it. It's a real honor to have you on, Marat. And I want to make sure that people know that they can go pick up the book. I'll have a link to it on the website as soon as this podcast comes out. I really do appreciate you joining us today. Once again, folks, you've been listening to Reflection as a Service. We talk about software development and entrepreneurship. Today, we've been talking to Marat Puhayarvi, and we're so lucky to have her on as one of the preeminent testers on the planet. Uh, getting some of her advice about different situations with testing, some of her experiences today. You know, if you've enjoyed the conversation, please make sure to reach out uh, to me if you have comments or reach out to Marat. Marat, what would be a good contact, a good way for folks to contact you in the future if they have questions or thoughts or just want to just want to uh, talk testing? Well, the best way usually to find me is to go on Twitter. I'm Marat P uh, on Twitter and just me there that's a, a good way of finding me and i also well you can send me email directly marat at iki.fi finds me so that's also a good way of finding me that's great and marat is big on twitter uh, i love following her there can you tell us your your blog uh url i know it's it's a test what is it testers crystal ball is that right they call it season testers crystal ball because it exists 
as a way for me to reflect on how stupid I was at, at some time. In <laughs> and that hopefully uh, know things a little better for the future. So uh, my blog, you can find it at uh, visible-quality.blogspot.fi. That's great. And it's a terrific blog. And you post a lot of stuff on there. You post lately, almost daily, it seems like. Uh, I think I did 202 blog posts in the last year. So not quite daily, but... Wow. Wow. Sometime I need to know about your time management skills and how you how you figure out how to do that. That's a lot of lot of posting. It's terrific, though. I love reading it. Thanks. Well, and if you've enjoyed listening to this, make sure to go out to iTunes and Google Play and uh, SoundCloud and review us. We love seeing those five stars or whatever the best rating is. We love hearing your feedback, so make sure to reach out to us. We're also on Twitter at Reflection AAS is on Twitter. I'm D. Paul Merrill on Twitter, and I look forward to hearing your feedback there. Go to our website, reflectionasaservice.com, and you can get in touch with us there. Um, we love having you guys. If you want to hear about a specific topic, if you want to hear about certain things, please make sure to, to reach out to us. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you're, if you're in the area, if you're in the triangle, I'll be at a couple meetups soon. I've got a meetup that I organize called TriTog, which is you can find on meetup.com, but Triangle Test Automation and Users Group. If you're going to be out at any of the conferences, I'll be at TriAgile speaking here in Raleigh in March and then several others throughout the year. I look forward to meeting you if you see me at any of those places. I'm sure, Marat, do you, do you like uh, meeting people at conferences too? I, I, that's kind of, I'm setting you up for that, I guess. huh? You can't really say no. I actually love meeting people at conferences. <laughs> <laughs> That's and where are you going to be? What are you doing next? So um, next one is European Testing Conference that I'm organizing. Uh, then I'll be at UK Star in, in London. Then I'll be at Swiss Testing Days. Uh, and then I'm going to be in uh, Agile Testing Days in USA in, in summer. And then there's going to be another one probably in, in autumn time going to try the star west this year uh, i was just looking at submitting for that too i went to that one last year have you been to one of those before no i haven't this is my first time i really hope we get a chance to meet sometime soon in person i'd love to sit down and um, talk where we can see face to face as opposed to through the interwebs <laughs> true great well thank you so much Marad. uh listeners thanks for being here we look forward to hearing from you soon have a good day 